Hey, this is Alex. This is part three in a four-part series. So if you haven't heard those two parts yet, you might want to listen to those episodes before this one. All right, on with the show. On Wednesday, August 31st, 2005, two days after Katrina hit New Orleans, Medea Gabriel was still at Memorial Medical Center. The babies she cared for had evacuated. Medea had just sent her mother off with her friend Monique Diles, who was a nurse, and told them to call Medea's friend from college, Tammy Ford. Tammy would pick them up if she could. But Medea needed to get to her mother to make sure that she was okay. She couldn't do that from the hospital. She's already gone. I don't know where she's gone, but she's out there. You know, my babies are gone. So, time to go. Once again, Medea packed. She took a diaper bag. It's like a small satchel with lots of pockets, some even waterproof. And she filled it up with things that she or other people could need. Water, baby wipes, a couple extra pairs of underwear, hand sanitizer, band-aids, gauze, tape, diapers. She braced herself for the world outside the hospital. I didn't know who I was going to meet along the way. I didn't know what we were going to run into, what was going to happen. I didn't know when my next bath was going to be. I didn't know any of that. Medea, her brother Patrick, and her husband got in line to evacuate. When it was their turn, they stepped onto a boat and traveled away from the hospital, directly into the madness of post-Katrina New Orleans. This is Resilience, Medea Gabriel's story, brought to you by Good360, a nonprofit organization that distributes donated goods to qualified charities. August 21st marks the launch of its new Disaster Recovery 360 technology platform. I'm your host, Alex Kappelman. On the boat, Medea passed through the neighborhood where she grew up. She saw buildings she knew, like her elementary school and a building even closer to her heart. It was kind of weird, because I'm passing my church that I was baptized in, I was married in, I buried my father in, all with water up to the doors. You don't see anybody there. But Medea didn't have much time to reflect. After about seven blocks, the water got shallow, and she and the other passengers were told to exit the boat. Buses would be picking them up. They stepped into murky, knee-deep water. Their pants, shoes, socks were now soaking wet. But that was a small annoyance compared to everything going on around her. Babies crying, people are hot, elderly. People are in wheelchairs. Just people standing around waiting. There's no buses. There's nothing. They say buses are coming, but there's no, no buses. There's nobody taking down names. There's nobody organizing It was chaotic, and Medea, her husband, and Patrick waited there for about an hour. Some people were standing around, but others were looting. Medea watched a police cruiser drive by with a man sitting outside the window of the car, holding a huge gun, and they just ignored the looters and drove on. For Medea, that was a big sign. Her husband suggested that they walk to Medea's brother-in-law's house, where he left their puppy, Bandit. It was about a mile and a half. They'd have to stay for the night. So they started walking. They had bags full of stuff that other people could use. So they had to stay alert. Nobody was saying anything. We just were walking. It was very quiet. It was very still. There was no 
cars moving. There were people sitting who hadn't evacuated. And their houses didn't flood. And they were looking at us like we would come and take something from them. I don't know if I can describe the situation to you. This is Patrick, Medea's brother. Oh, okay. Sorry. It's like being, um, it was, it was like being in the jungle. One of Medea's favorite things about New Orleans was that everyone was so friendly, gregarious, talkative. But as they walked, all of that was missing. These were good people on the streets, being really desperate. We didn't speak to anybody that day. We, hey, how you doing? How y'all making out? None of that. We kept quiet and had our um, location that we were going in mind. And when they did talk to others, it was definitely not friendly. We actually had somebody walk past us and go, what you got there? And, you know, my brother-in-law turns and looks. And he said something in the neighborhood of like, you know, you just need to keep walking. By the time they got to Medea's brother-in-law's house, it was pitch black outside. They completed their trip for the night and could rest. They'd move on the next day. In addition to Medea, her brother, and her husband, there was Medea's brother-in-law, his roommate, and his roommate's girlfriend. And Bandit was there, with two other dogs. They ate well that night. They barbecued some meat from the freezer that had thawed out and cooked some beans on the gas stove. That was a welcome comfort. The roommates had filled up the bathtub before the running water cut out, so Medea was able to wash herself. She took a coffee mug and filled it up with water. She cleaned off days of dirt and grime. That must have felt amazing. Yeah, because that was probably the first bath I had in three days. It wasn't a whole bath, but I made, I made a um, cup of water go a long way. Medea had a lot of trouble sleeping. Just like in the hospital, it was hot. No breeze. No power for a fan or for an air conditioner. And she could hear all the bumps in the night. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. It was that black out there. But you can hear things. People were breaking into other people's houses. You can hear crash, boom. You don't know who's out there. You don't know if they're trying to get in your house. They made it through the night. That morning, they had to walk five miles across the Mississippi River Bridge and out of the city limits. Medea's husband had family outside of the city and they needed to get in touch with them. The batteries were dead on all their cell phones, and no power to charge them. But there was a payphone half a block from the house. They could use it to make arrangements to get picked up. But first, Medea called her college friend, Tammy, to see if Medea's mom had made it. After a few tortured rings, Tammy picked up the phone, and she told Medea that Monique and Medea's mother were safe and sound with her. Medea was elated. When you get filled with joy like that, you do a little happy dance and your hips move from side to side and you, you ball your fists like you have little uh, samba shakers and you dance and move your head back and forth. That's the happy dance. Tammy put Medea's mother on the phone so she and Medea could talk. I'm like, you by Tammy? She's like, yeah. I say, you all right? Yeah. I say, you got a book? She said, Yeah. <laughs> Tammy then put Monique on the phone. Monique told her the whole story of the evacuation with Medea's mother. They were stranded by the highway, waiting for ambulances to take them. And Monique kept pestering a member of the National Guard, asking her, when are they going to get evacuated? Eventually, she was told, if you're not dying, you're not getting out. When she heard that, Monique had a panic attack. There were a bunch of television cameras nearby, and she just started screaming bloody murder in front of them. A few minutes later, they were in an ambulance on their way out of New Orleans. 
they ended up in a makeshift triage area at a stadium, surrounded by a sea of people. Monique found an outlet to charge her phone and called Tammy, who went to pick them up and take them to her house as soon as she could. Medea's mom's chest pain ended up being indigestion. She was not in the best shape after the journey, but she was safe. Now that Medea knew her mother was okay, they placed a call to Medea's husband's family's house to tell Medea's brother-in-law, Anthony, to come pick them up. They decided on a set spot off the highway, on the other side of the bridge. They would need to get there and wait for Anthony to arrive to pick them up. Once they hung up, they swung by a local supermarket. The manager told people to take what they needed, so they got water, dog food, and a couple of other things, and they went back to the house. Here we go again. We're preparing for another journey. We prepared the babies for their journey. I prepared my mama for her journey. Now we're preparing to take our own selves across the river. They took a gallon of water per person and a gallon of water for each of the three dogs. They only had a few snacks, their IDs, some cash, credit cards and baby wipes, gauze and tape. They started walking, in a line, dogs in tow. Medea figures that it was about 95 degrees on streets and highways that were baking sweltering, um, smothering. It beats down on you. It takes your energy. It takes your breath. As they walked, they passed people on the road, two or three here and there. Medea made sure that Bandit was hydrated, but they didn't have much water, and the journey was getting to the dogs, too. All of their paws were raw from the walk. The pads on each of their little... Little paws were bleeding. Um, One of the dogs was an Akita. She was like the mama dog and Bandit and the other dog was like the little baby dogs. And she she would nudge them along. Eventually, they got to the Mississippi River Bridge. They were exhausted, hot, and out of water. But they were almost out of the city. As they crossed the bridge, tanks passed by them. But they kept moving. They exited the bridge and were outside city limits. They waited for Medea's husband's brother, Anthony, to pick them up. There were people on the road with nowhere to go. A milk truck passed by and gave everyone a cold drink, the first one in days. Eventually, Anthony showed up. They all piled into the van. About an hour and a half later, they were at Medea's sister-in-law's house. They escaped the city, but recovery would be a big struggle. Resilience, Medea Gabriel's story, is produced by me, Alex Kappelman, with help from Erica Kramer and Rachel Hammerman. Audrey Quinn is our editor. The mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder provided our theme music, with additional music supplied by BWN. This episode was mixed by Ann Pope. Good360 is a non-profit organization that distributes donated goods to qualified charities. August 21st marks the launch of its new Disaster Recovery 360 technology platform. Disaster Recovery 360 will revolutionize the way that goods are distributed following disasters. It'll ensure that critically needed goods are distributed to the right place at the right time in the immediate aftermath of a disaster, and also in the months it takes for a community to rebuild and recover. Find out more at good360.org slash podcast. We'll see you next week with the fourth and final installment of the series. <laughs>